Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. This is a vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion, his word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. The nation will no longer fight against nation, nor train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us light into the in the light of the Lord. Matthew twenty four thirty six through forty four. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings. Right up to the time Noah entered his boat, people did not realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Romans thirteen eleven through 14. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. night is almost gone, and the day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourselves think about ways to indulge your evil desires.
The level of focus in the room was spectacular. <laughs> the suspense that created was really good. Welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. That was, so the readings, we, we don't do a whole lot of connection with the church calendar, but this is one we like to do is Advent and then of course uh, Holy Week and Easter, where we on a cyclical basis as the church for 2,000 years have remembered, we remember the, the story, the gospel story and keep on immersing ourselves in it and let it define our own concept of time. So that we mark the seasons by remembering what God has done, uh, rather than what, what do you, where you, Black Friday or whatever you want to call it. It's remembering Advent. Advent, and, and so these readings, by the way, um, are we're using what's called lectionary texts, which they're being read all over the world by thousands and thousands of Christians. Those exact texts you just heard that the Ends family did so beautifully. Uh, thank you so much. Um, Advent is is another word you can use for coming or arrival. And so there's four Sundays of Advent leading up to celebrating the birth of Jesus. But Advent actually celebrates two Advents. One's the birth of Jesus and also looking forward to the return of Jesus. So you'll notice all the texts today were focused on the return of Jesus. And then how we live in, on the way, it's, it's so beautiful, Isaiah 2, talking about the mountain of the Lord and that weapons will be refashioned from weapons to farm implements. That, that God's, God, when he, when he comes to set the earth right, it'll be that kind of peace he brings. And so um, there's four virtues that we know that we can focus on at Advent. Again, this is something the church has been doing for a lot of years. So we like to do it. Is these virtues of that, as we celebrate the advent of Jesus' first coming and look forward to his second coming, these four virtues are things that we ask God to, to bring alive inside of us, which is hope, joy, peace, and love. And so, um, we're gonna do advent according to Philippians because we figure we're already in it, we might as well keep on doing it. Um, and so that'll be a little bit different than we've done in the past, which is a lot of fun, actually. So today we're going to talk about hope, hope, and it was really beautiful. I really enjoyed all of us praying together. There felt something so hopeful. It's like I could hear something larger than us happening, you know, kind of, kind of a din, a roar in heaven, of the noise of heaven uh, before the throne of God. So talk about hope. We're going to look at Philippians verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. And, uh, yeah, so I'll read it out loud, make a few comments, and then I feel like there's something real specific the Lord's wanting to invite us into today. Paul says this at the very beginning of his letter to the Philippians. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, will you help us to hear what you're saying by your spirit? Receive it and respond in Jesus' name. 
So there's three things I want to point out in this text we're going to look at. First is this word gospel. Next is this phrase, he began a good work in you. And this final phrase, carried on to completion until the day of Jesus. We're going to start with gospel. What is the gospel? Some of you guys are familiar with this little technique of explaining the gospel. Is that we can look at the world around us and know that it's broken. I don't know anybody who struggles with this unless they live in a, you know, hermetically sealed, you know, cave that only shows them happy things on television. But that there's all kinds of brokenness in the world. There's inequities, there's violence, there's untimely deaths. There's just, just, we know that the world is broken. But that is not the way that God designed the world. He designed it, this perfect design, where he's in charge. He's the king. It's orderly. It makes sense. And he made humanity in that context to be his representatives on earth, to be able to rule the earth. In this idea of an orderly taking care of the earth in right relationship with God and with other people and with creation. But we thought it would be better to run the show ourselves. That's what you do when you have a little time on your hands. And we call that sin. Sin's this thing that I will, I will live in a disordered state as if I were in charge. The way I see things should be. And, and, and so that's what's led to brokenness. That's what's led to brokenness. Is, is We're the bull in the china shop trying to run our own lives and run the world. And it's created a disaster. And it's also disqualified us from God's kingdom. And so there's no way back in. There's no way for us to get on top of this. There's no way to fix the planet. People are trying it all the time. But God didn't want to leave us in this state. So he comes to our planet by sending his son Jesus who becomes one of us. Lives on our terms. And we read it in Philippians 2. John Free preached out of it a little while ago that he humbled himself. Taking the very nature of a servant and becoming human and humbled himself all the way to death. He, 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 he let the brokenness and all the consequences of darkness and sin come upon him and do its final work, which is to kill him. But then Jesus came back from the dead, which means Jesus has defeated death. He's defeated the powers of darkness. He's defeated the disorder in the world. And it says in Matthew 28 that Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. So he's this king who then invites us back into the kingdom order so that if, if we turn from running the show on our own and say, Jesus, you can be king and follow him, his way of living, we can grow into the design that God intended for us as humans and for us in relationship with one another and the created world. And we get to go back into brokenness and invite people out into God's perfect design that will be culminated when Jesus returns and brings the new creation. He sets everything right, where heaven and earth become one. So Advent, guys, is in this moment between this first coming of Jesus, the first Advent, and the second Advent. And what's interesting is we can see that 
very dynamic in these two phrases that Paul has. He says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The day of Christ Jesus being Jesus' return. And so what I want to focus on is what did Paul mean by this good work that he began and this good work that Jesus will complete upon his return? So we're just going to stay in Philippians and look at that, okay? So we can see, oh, by the way, here's the good work begun, good work to be completed. And so let's look at the good work to be begun, to be, the good work that has begun. Light the candle, gal. Paul says that the good work that's already begun is that he does not have a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul's saying the good work that has already begun is everything is okay between him and God. That shame and guilt are not companions of the one who's been forgiven and bestowed with righteousness. The good work that has already begun is we are righteous before God. Another thing he says, that our citizenship is in heaven. Has anyone ever felt like the world's a little out of control? Did you know that actually your government with King Jesus is doing just fine? He's completely in control. He's not nervous. He's not confused. He's not even looking at polls to see about what people think of what he's doing. (laughs) We are, we belong. Uh, We have a government that we're under that we don't ever have to be afraid of how things are going to turn out for us. We're united with Christ. I love this phrase because what does that mean? Well, think about this. The Holy Spirit is actually, if your faith is in Jesus, if you said, Jesus, you're my king, the Holy Spirit actually lives inside of you, which unites you with this person, Jesus Christ, at the deepest places in your soul. You are never, ever alone. Have you ever really tried to explain yourself to somebody else and they just didn't get it? What I've come to find out is nobody can ever fully understand us. The people closest to us, really, they can never fully understand us. But Jesus can. Why? Because we're united with him. In my darkest, most confusing moments, he doesn't think I'm confusing. He gets me. I'm not alone. We have a common sharing in the spirit with one another. There's this miracle, I don't know if you guys have experienced it, if you've ever been traveling and you run into someone that knows Jesus and you know Jesus, doesn't it feel like we know each other? How's that possible? It's because we have a common sharing in the spirit inside of our bodies that we get to share with other people and that we actually get put into a family where we actually have a place. Some of us during the holidays are reminded of what place you do or don't have (laughs) in your biological families or whatever you you may have been engaged in. Holidays are weird, right? They're good and weird. (laughs) 
I know some of us, it's a really stressful time because of this, but you have a common sharing in the Spirit. You belong. You have a place. This is the good work that God has already begun because Jesus came. Another thing is that we can have the same mindset as Christ Jesus as you read that passage. Paul's saying we actually can know how to live. We have an example in Jesus of what it means to be human. All of us wonder at sometimes, what in the world am I doing here? What am I for? I was thought, what, what, what was uh, purpose-driven life, right? It sold so many copies. How many, how many copies were actually read? I don't know. But it had the greatest tagline, what on, what on earth am I here for? I think that's what sold the book, in my opinion. What, am I, what on earth am I here for? It's this question. Jesus expresses that. Here's what it means to be human. Look at my life. Live like me. And then we see that these virtues we're going to talk about the next several weeks, that we have the comfort of Christ's love and can share that love with one another, a love that knows everything about what it means to be human because he's been human and he's gone to radical lengths to be able to express his love more more epic and more romantic than the most epic story you're going to read this 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 god becomes one of us and gives away his own life for things he didn't do for those who've committed injustice against him and throws his life away extravagantly this kind of love actually lives in us we get to get comforted knowing that even if I'm rejected by everyone else around me, Jesus, the most stellar love that ever existed, that brought the world into existence, spoke the galaxies into place, loves me. He loves me. And Paul talks about this. He, you know, Paul ta- is talking to the Philippians, writing his letter from a jail cell. That, that apparently, reportedly, they've, they've got, you can you actually see it, and it's, it's like you can't quite stand up in it. It's just this really cramped little place. He's been there for a long, long time, and he says, I'm rejoicing. Because joy, Jesus says in John 15, I want to give you my joy. The kind of joy that I give when you're living under my rule, my kingship. Paul says we can rejoice in the Lord in all kinds of circumstances. That's the good work that's begun in us. And finally, this peace of God, which transcends, it's above making sense. A sense of settledness, a sense of things are going to be okay. I don't know why I'm not freaking out. I should be. But Jesus has begun this good work in me that I can be at peace because he's running the show and his peace will actually guard my heart and my mind. What I'm feeling and thinking and the way I'm behaving is guarded by Jesus through his first advent. This is the good work that has been started in us. And this is just in this short little letter from Philippians. Isn't that fun? So let's look at The good work to be completed. What's out in front of us? What's out in front of us is this new creation at the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says these things in Philippians as well. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power 
of his resurrection, in other words, his resurrection from the dead, also to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Why? So somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That just as Christ was resurrected from the dead, I will be resurrected from the dead. That was like a really weird way to say it, resurrected. Thank you. I don't know why I I chose to breathe right then. Paul goes on to say, he says, Our citizenship's in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The resurrection from the dead means you and I are going to have the same kind of body that Jesus does. Fully physical. Remember Jesus was raised from the dead. He ate fish. You could feel it. It's a physical resurrection on this new creation. But completely put together. Anyone over 50 going to the party says amen about this new body, right? When you're younger, you don't you think you need it all that much, and then all of a sudden things stop working. It's in your future, friends. It's just going to happen to you. Somehow you pull your hamstring while sleeping. You just wake up. It's like, I'm, my hamstring's out. I have no idea why. Paul says this, he's talking about in a jail cell, Rome isn't usually really friendly with people they consider dissidents. Remember that Paul is proclaiming a gospel. Gospel is a word the Roman Empire used to say we're going to proclaim something good the emperor did. And Paul says, I have a gospel. And it's about the true king. His name is Jesus, it's not Caesar. In fact, he died, and then God exalted him to the highest place, Philippians 2, right? So there's no contest. There's no Caesar who competes with King Jesus. So Paul's wondering what's going to happen to him as he's in his jail cell. He's not a really favorable dude to the government. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In other words, this sense of this hope, this sense of the resurrection out in front of him, is such that Paul literally is not afraid to die. Do you know, I, I, my guess is you could probably root all of our fears down to this base fear of being afraid to die. Hebrews 2 says that Satan actually keeps us underneath this fear of death that Jesus removes by the good work he's going to complete. Did you know that the Christians under the Roman Empire were the most dangerous people? Because they weren't afraid to die. Fearless hope. Fearless hope. Fearless hope. What would it be to live with no fear? 
the worst thing that could happen to you is no longer an obstacle. So, Advent is in this space between the good work begun and the good work to be completed. And one way we talk about this is a now, not yet tension. It's that King Jesus has come and he said, I'm the king and whoever wants to follow me will be in my kingdom. Yet his kingdom has not yet fully arrived. His kingdom's now. So we're starting to experience it. Uh, Tim Cameron just told me a story about this lady who had dramatic physical healings. I mean, crazy dramatic, just like within the last couple weeks. Um, You've probably experienced some things of God intervening in your life, whether it's the unseen internal world or relationships, your finances, that the kingdom has come, that we see Jesus is bringing his order into those who are submitted to him, but there's still a crazy world out there. There's plenty of not yet happening, and we're all experiencing not yet as well. So there's this tension in the not, the now not yet space that we're both saying, yes, Jesus has come. We're in his kingdom. Oh, we're longing for the kingdom to come. If you read Romans 8, Paul talks about these three different groanings where all of creation's groaning and we're groaning and the spirit's groaning all together saying, the spirit's come. Jesus has come. He's king, but it's not yet fully come. What do we do? Well, Paul addresses this in Philippians as well. So we'll just read this passage and make a couple comments and then pray. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. So this is stuff that Paul says he's experiencing right now. And he starts to also edge toward looking at the resurrection of the dead out in front of him. And now he's, here's what we do in this tension in between the now and not yet. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So it's now not yet tension. What do we do? I was going to say it really simply is that we have to embrace hope in the tension between now and not yet. We have to embrace hope. What do I mean by that? Well, embrace, we have to embrace the good work that Jesus has already done in us. The good work that Jesus has done in us is what becomes our ability to predict what the future is going to be like. Does that make sense? 
It's our history with God that builds in us the ability to know that God is faithful and will do again what he's done. So, so if you're like me, I got to be honest, how many of you guys have found yourself praying a prayer and as soon as it's answered, I already forgot that it was answered and I move on to my new anxiety. I, I just do that so often. The Lord is so patient with me because I'm just like, he just came through. Awesome. I'm so scared, Lord, about this next thing. And he's just like, hey, man, that's cool. But you know what? I, I just did that thing, right? You know? We've got to embrace the good work already begun. Gratitude is such a powerful, powerful discipline. Gratitude will lift us out of, out of degrees of depression. It's already, it's been documented by regular daily gratitude for just put a note, put a three by five card on your pillow and write down three things you're grateful for every day. And it's been shown to relieve mild depression symptoms. Celebrating, engaging, embracing the work already begun is so important. And it's a place of humility. It's a place of humility of going, even where I arrived, I have to admit, I didn't get here myself. He got me here. The other thing is embrace the tension of the now, not yet. Embrace the tension of the now, not yet. I'll be honest, I don't know a single person who actually likes this. Just if you know you'll, if you want to do it, watch a movie and 10 minutes before it's over, turn it off. <laughs> Just go about your day. See how much you like that tension. And it's just for a silly movie. But we have to, it, we have to allow heaven to exist. We have to allow the second advent to exist. We, 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 we sometimes get angry at God because we're still in the now not yet tension. And, and, and this is not a mystery. In the scriptures, in any way, he's made it clear. There is a future day when all things will be made well. That day is not today. I mean, maybe it will be later today. It could be. But we have to embrace it. Even though it's uncomfortable. We were praying about this before the service and Brian said it so beautifully. He said, isn't this beautiful? That this is the only time in our lives we will be able to embrace the not yet. Because Jesus is going to come. And we will no longer have that way to worship him. Think about that for a second. What a brilliant way to view that. We are in a one moment. where we'll look back from eternity be able to say, could I worship Jesus in this moment when it wasn't, wasn't all fixed? What, what, what does that do for you? I mean, think about your kids. What, <laughs> Dad, I know you'll serve the pumpkin pie, and I'm thanking you now. <laughs> You're right. I'm moving to the heart of our Father. Say, I oh, wish this wasn't this way. And the Father says, I do too, son. It's not always going to be this way. And sometimes it breaks in now, sometimes it doesn't. We don't know all the reasons why, but we don't have to. 
Does anybody believe that? That you don't have to? Does anybody believe that it's okay and it may be required of us to relinquish all control of the universe? Because this is about relinquishing control. To embrace the now, yes, God acts, and not yet, and yes, we'll all be put set to right in the future. We have to let go. Man, we struggle so hard as we humans. Why? Because letting go is the same as dying. It's saying, I am no longer going to run the show. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. It is in a childlike way, give up control. Now, the beauty is, he's done good work already. He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. You know what Jesus said he'd be looking for when he came back was not did did everything right. He just wants you to believe him. Will you believe that I've got you and relinquish control over the outcome of your life? But I want it to be different than it is. I hear you and I feel you. Can you trust me? We have to embrace the good work already begun and the tension of what's the now, not yet, that God does break in and we're asking the Lord for entrusting him with his outcomes. Another thing we need to do to actually foster hope is contemplate the second advent. What do I mean by that? Jesus' return and bringing all things to right is so beautiful that in Revelation 21 and 22, the best it can be talked about is in symbolic language. You know, we've got these visions that, that of, of streets of gold in a city that's fully a cube and square. And the reason that we have that imagery is that in the Holy of Holies, the floor is all gold in the temple, and that the Holy of Holies is a perfect cube like the New Jerusalem coming down. You have all these things where God's, he said there is no temple because there's no need to be temple. We're in the temple. We're all together. There's no need for light because God's beauty is emanating so brightly we don't even need a sun. That, that there's no more tears. There's no more sickness. These kind of things. The only way we can start to actually look forward to good Hope, which is the expectation of good, is to how, know how good the good is. We, 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 we have lost, in many ways, in our immediacy culture, lost the art of hoping for the future of the new creation. It, it's, it's an important thing to dwell on. I mean, a few things, you read Revelation 21 and 22 over and over again. Just read it over and over again. Uh, uh, Bible Project has some really cool videos like Heaven and Earth. There's one called Heaven and Earth you could watch. Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Heaven, um, which is spectacular, really well done, really biblical. Just read, read these things to, to be able to foster our actual thought life on what is going to happen. What is? I've told you this uh, illustration someone else gave me a long time ago that what if your job was to screw the toothpaste cap on at the toothpaste factory. You know, that was just your job. You screwed that top on day in and day out. And, and if you knew at the end of the year you're going to get paid $2,000, you'd have a certain set of expectations about your life, wouldn't you? $2,000 for 2 million toothpaste tubes, you know? 
But if you know you're going to get $200 million at the end of the year, you might be pretty excited about those toothpaste tubes. You might be, here comes another one. Yeah, you ain't going to get me down. It's all about how we envision the future. Is the future that good? You have to foster it. Have you noticed our culture says, like, it's a real movie if everyone dies at the end, you know? It, it, it's like all these French movies, you know? It's like, <laughs> There's something in us longing and wired for a good ending, not because we're naive, it's because we're made for it. We're made for it. It's true. It's right. It's where the world is going. For those who submit to the Lord Jesus as King. So foster the imagination. And the final thing I notice out of these passages is that we have to press on to the second advent. There's a leaning into. Let's look at Paul's passage again. He says, uh, he's talking about looking at the resurrection. I'm going to have a new body. He says, but I know I have not already obtained this. I haven't arrived at my goal. He's admitting, he's embracing the tension of the not yet right here. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm made for a good ending. I'm made for the new creation. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. One thing I do, I forget what's behind. Why can you do that? Because Jesus forgives. Jesus is the redeemer of our past, our failures, our sins. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Hope is not foolish optimism. Hope is the expectation of good, but it's expecting good based on reliable data. And the reliable data is that God has begun a good work in us. He's done things. We could see it. And he's promised a future that we can dwell on. So what do we do in the moment? We can press on to take hold of that very thing. Okay, there's things. Anybody had a disappointment in your past you still don't understand? Right? If you're breathing, you've had that. But Paul's saying, I'm not getting locked down by that only because why? I know Jesus will redeem and forgive. He's already talked about this and I know what he's promised. So I'm going to press on to it. In fact, I'm not going to try to hold God and myself hostage till he gives me the answers I want. I'm going to press on. Because you know you can't hold God hostage, by the way. When we do that, we're the only ones who are stuck. So, What we're going to do today is take communion. You might have noticed your little thimble of communion elements. And I'm going to read this text, but you'll notice here, we're actually going to celebrate this very now, not yet tension. And we're going to let ourselves be situated in it. And Jesus to meet us in this. So Paul's writing this to the church in Corinth. He says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And look at this. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death now. The good work that Jesus has done now. The forgiveness that Jesus has given you now. The new covenant. New agreement between God and humanity. That He will be the King and set all things right. That He will resurrect you from the dead. We proclaim it until He comes. So this very act is we sit in this very tension of remembering what God has done and looking forward to His return. So what I want to do before we take the elements is think about these very things. Let's talk, think about, God, what have you done in me? And maybe you're going to remember even some things that you don't want to remember. And if that's sin or if that's disappointment, just bring them to him. Just say, okay, I'm disappointed about this. Or I kind of screwed up. Will you forgive me? He's like, yes, I can't wait. I'm so excited. He wants to embrace us in a good work. So let's sit on that for just a second. Now let's let Jesus do a little hope, let exploration in us. Thinking about his coming. Why don't you just think of what, what's in your mind when you think of Jesus returning? Is it beauty and joy? Is it terror? <laughs> let him speak into that. Now, whether you have a sense of resolve in your heart or not, it's okay. It's totally okay. We're going to go ahead and receive his body now, broken for us, for our healing, for putting us back together. In faith, in faith, in faith that he's done this and will continue to do it. And now we're going to receive the blood of Jesus. Guilt and shame are not allowed in this room because of this blood that cleanses us of all sin. It's the sacrifice that cleanses us of all sin. Let's stand together. The thing in particular that I felt like 
Jesus was wanting to help us with was that being in the very middle of the now, not yet tension. There may be some of us who are really discouraged right now. Maybe even in, in, in a, a place of just wondering if this faith is worth continuing with. And I don't, maybe your faith isn't worth continuing with. Maybe Jesus wants to get rid of it so he, you can meet him. I don't know. He's had to do, anybody had that experience where Jesus had to kind of get rid of what you thought of him? Because it wasn't so accurate. Guys, he's better than our best and highest thoughts about him. He's a lot smarter than anybody else, including me and you. So I want you to receive encouragement. I'm going to pray it over you too. In this not yet, now and not yet place. I've seen God work. Why is he not doing it again? Can you press on? Can you press on? I don't have to understand everything. He has done good things. I'm going to stick this thing out knowing there's good out ahead. Father, will you do that now in our hearts? This is the gospel. It's the best news that Jesus is king. The one who made us, the one who knows us at the most intimate levels, and the one who can actually run the affairs of the planet is our closest friend, our ally, our support, the one cheering us on, the one strengthening us, the one bringing us to the Father, the one forgiving us, the one supporting us, the one drawing out our giftings. That's who you are. So Lord, will you help us when we're in this moment of tension? Will you breathe hope into us that we wouldn't have cynicism that, that would be, that would be um, competing for hope that some of us cynicism feels more true than hope and I'm telling you it's not true cynicism is not true it's simply self-protection and a way to protect our unbelief Lord help us help us free us into the joyful place of hope because the good work you've begun and what you're going to accomplish help us to trust and to love one another in the process through Jesus I pray Amen. Amen. If anybody needs any prayer, come on up. One of us up here would love to pray with you. Have a wonderful leftover Thanksgiving meal.